It's different for black boys, harder for black girls Start your own business venture, thrive in a black world Where you and your homies don't gotta worry about getting fired and facing discrimination We are creators, we don't go begging for placement where we are not wanted And I'ma keep it a hundred youngin', we used to be hunted They had us sitting in zoos, so what you see in the news Is really nothing that's new, they really targeting you You hear me talking to you? Race and Rosé is brought to you by your hosts, Deja Staten and Christina Alford. Hello. This podcast was created as a way to address the many racial issues that this country, and specifically BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, living in this country, have been carrying, confronting, living through, basically from the beginning of our history. Which we would like to mark our history is from before uh, the United States was was founded with you know the indigenous inhabitants who were here long before and were genocided by the predecessors to the U.S. government. So we will be covering history, current events, systemic issues that are affecting all of us today. Today. <laughs> so why rosé, Christina? Rosé, because well, for all of you who know us, we have a glass or a bottle or 10 <laughs> okay that's a lot that's a lot but not a lie but no no um close in hand um and honestly it's you know we'll be covering a lot of heavy issues these conversations are not easy at all and it's just a little bit more digestible with a glass of rosé in hand that it is so welcome okay it's june it's been a Hey guys, <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> I know you missed us. Hey, were you ready for cackling? Because it's here. I know um, you missed that specifically. Yeah. yeah, we today are going to talk about Juneteenth and we're going to talk about the history behind it. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the fact that it just became a federal holiday and the the good, the bad and the ugly <laughs> behind that whole drama um, we're going to talk about what it means now, where to go from here, what it doesn't mean. Right. All the things. All the things. We're yes. going to do some hot takes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, Deidre. What? Can you give us the facts? What is Juneteenth? Where did this come from? What is Juneteenth? Where did this come from? Okay. So, Juneteenth is the day um, stemming from June 19th, 1865, a full two years after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, which went into effect on January 1st, 1863, and a full two months after Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general in all of his glory, uh, finally gave up um, when the last, supposedly, I'm air quoting, um, enslaved black people were given their official freedom in Galveston, Texas. And that was three million slaves. That's a lot of people. That's a lot. Wait, are you saying that's the number of people who were still enslaved or the total number of slaves? Declared more than three million slaves living in Confederate states to be free. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about this in a prior episode, but to give you just like a refresher or some more background, um, the Emancipation Proclamation was a fucking farce. (laughs) uh, Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator, uh, actually used the Emancipation Proclamation as a political mechanism as um a tool of war Mm -hmm. the thinking behind it was um you know abraham lincoln 
back backstepping a little bit he like didn't actually care all that much it's about, not it wasn't out, out of the goodness of his heart yeah he he <laughs> he famously said repeatedly like if i could like keep the union together i'm paraphrasing without freeing a single slave i would do it mm-hmm. if like it took freeing all the slaves i would do it like he literally like definition of milk toast right abraham lincoln so anyways emancipation proclamation he was like oh like we're in this war and it really sucks you know it'd be great if like we really just like shook shit up a little bit in the south Mm -hmm. and told all the slaves down there they were free and i say all the slaves down there because he literally did not free a single slave that was not in the confederacy Mm -hmm. and he did not free any of the slaves who were living in border states that remained loyal to the union when the confederacy seceded so January 1st, 1863, Emancipation Proclamation goes into effect. And in reality, it didn't like free all that many people. Because if you're a black enslaved person living in the South at the time, A, you might not have heard that it even happened. And B, if you did, like what? Suddenly, like your slave owner out of the goodness of their heart is going to be like, and today you're free. Yeah, no, that's nope. That's not what happened. Mm -mm. So Galveston, Texas, um, June 19th, 1865 which was quite a long time after the Emancipation Proclamation and quite a long time, two full months after the Civil War supposedly ended. Union troops uh, gallivanted their their way into the island of Galveston, right off the coast of Texas. And they said, hey, yo, y'all are free. Now go live your best lives without any support. No support, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because you're really setting everybody up for success there. Yeah. So, and it's interesting. um, They're actually a little known point of fact here. Um, The Freedmen's Bureau, which was set up um, at the end of the Civil War, uh, which was set up to, you know, build schools for, you know, the 4 million um, emancipated black people at the end of the Civil War. Um, They hadn't made it to Texas yet. And there was actually a law put in place that you were not allowed to leave your plantation until the Freedmen's Bureau had made it um, to like where you physically were located. So even after Juneteenth, a lot of enslaved people were not technically free which is like truly amazing. So even this is a symbolic holiday um, in a lot of ways. Like it didn't actually spell out freedom for all of the people who were still enslaved in Texas. And I think another thing that's really important, like we, we constantly talk about the connections between slavery and between all forms of oppression, between indigenous genocide, et cetera, and like our current state of existence in this country as BIPOC people. And uh, Texas has the largest number of black people in the United States, um, the the highest concentration of black people out of any state. I think the overall population is about 12% black. Um, The prison population is more than 30% black, like 32% black, I think. Uh, They have a really, really high number of people who are executed on death row, the majority of whom um, are black. So it's important to look at the line that is drawn from this history, from Texas being like literally the holdout um, with respect to enslaving people, letting them free, um, and how black people are still treated in Texas today. And there's a lot of them there mm-hmm. um so just you know important historical point did i did i cover it yeah you you did it you nailed it okay cool i like nailing things um <laughs> so what happened this week christina so this week um a bill is it a bill yeah I, a bill yeah, was signed it- to actually make juneteenth an official federal holiday yeah and Federal holidays. Well, I feel like this is a good question to ask you because I feel like you're not like a history nerd or like Mm -hmm. a political nerd like I am. What is your understanding of what happens when something becomes a federal holiday? Uh, People get a day off of work. Which people? 
um, state, federal yeah. employees. Yeah. So, like, I, I think down to the local level, or at least, like, if they're being loyal to, to what federal actually means. So if you are a person who works for the government, right, and state governments are arms of federal governments, so they have to, you know, apply federal laws at the state level. Only those people get a day off. So, like, this doesn't apply to private entities. This does not apply to privately held companies. It does apply to, like, universities that are on state land that are, you know, receiving federal funds. Um, And it applies to the federal government. So, like, anybody who works for the State Department, anybody who's a congressperson, anybody who works in anything that's federally operated. But that's a lot of the country that, like, does not have to give Juneteenth off still. So just to put that out there, this doesn't mean like everybody in the United States, all 300, whatever million of us get off for for Juneteenth. Um, So that happened this week. But like it didn't just like pass without any drama, of course, because we're in like the age of Marjorie Taylor Greene and like a whole bunch of other bumblefuckians who do wild shit. And so Senate, shockingly, passed this unanimously. And I have a little theory on why that happened, which we'll get to in a second. But the House, when it got kicked down to the House, for them to pass it, mm-hmm. there were what? How there many? Were about 14, I want to say. Yeah. Republicans. 14 fuckboys. <laughs> 14 fuckboys in the House were like, nah, not today. And do you, what was what was the reason? What did they say? Like something to do with like, this isn't the real Independence Day. Oh, oh, no, it's divisive. That's what they said. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's it divisive. divisive. That's what they said. Or like divisive, as I say. Divisive You're, or divisive? I think it's pronounced both ways. Oh, You I just did a Mary Staten pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they were like, this is bullshit. Like you're dividing the country. Independence Day is on July 4th. Which, which is said all the time when people don't want to actually address racism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talk it, about it. <laughs> but also, like, w- there is no lie. You're right. It's divisive. Like, it's going to be divisive if you're telling me I'm less than you. Right. Or that slavery didn't have a lasting impact. Exactly. Or that systemic racism isn't real. Or doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because... Hey, House, <laughs> tell me when you passed the Emmett till anti-lynching law. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll wait. Yeah, it is divisive. <laughs> mm-hmm. And speaking of, like, the real Independence Day, July 4th, I would just like to read all of you something. And by all of you, I mean Candace Owens. <laughs> I hope you're listening. And crew. Because <laughs> she, she was the one who, like, at least on, like, the, the big stage started talking about this, about how we have July 4th, we don't need Juneteenth, we should all be celebrating the same Independence Day. Need I remind you, Candace, that someone who looked like you, and by looked like you, I mean both Black and a woman, was not included in mm-hmm. the pale of what they were addressing on Independence Day on July 4th, 1776, which, mind you, was 157 years after the institution of slavery was brought to the shores of the United States. Mm-hmm. 157 years after these people had been enslaving had, rewind, been kidnapping (laughs) and enslaving people in this country. And not just like any old slavery, not like the normal type of slavery, like in the rest of the world, where people were like moderately civilized and were like, oh, you're only a slave for part of your life. Nope. Chattel slavery, we own you and everybody who you birth, right? 157 years. Yeah, generations. Multiple generations. 157 years later, we get the Declaration of Independence, right? And I'm just going to do just like a little, a little reading here. So... Um, The Declaration of Independence, this is the action of the Second Continental Congress on July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. 
I don't know if anybody told them, but 13 is not a lucky number. So I think they started out wrong. But when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. (sighs) That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. I I would just like to point out that the M in men is very capitalized here. Um, Deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. Like, I could go on, but... Men was used very intentionally here. I was not kidding about the fact that it is capitalized. There are a couple of words that are capitalized in the original writing of this document. God is repeatedly referred to. Um, And it was very clear that these people who had had slaves at this point, again, for 157 years, were not talking about all of us. They weren't talking about people who looked like me or Pristina or our producer slash editor at Lana here. They were talking about white men. And they were talking about, at this point in time, like rich white men, like Mm -hmm. landed white men, right? They were talking about the Ben Franklins and the Thomas Jeffersons and the James Madisons and the people who owned property and owned slaves, um, which were property then. So, yeah, this is is where we're at. (laughs) This is the history uh, behind this. And the idea that that is our true Independence Day is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we've just started talking about Juneteenth within the last couple of years yeah i mean historically speaking juneteenth has been celebrated by black people in the south particularly right. black people in, in texas, texas right um but even that has been historically fraught there is kind of this period of time following um slavery you know the reconstruction era the 12 or so years that followed slavery from about 1865 to 1877 where black people were um getting seats in government where they were able to actually flex citizenship rights civil uh political social rights and then there was wicked backlash the KKK or the second KKK um, rose and, you know, it was essentially impossible to exist as a black American and Juneteenth celebrations went underground Mm -hmm. Um, and they've always been celebrated in Texas, whether privately or publicly um, and in neighboring states in, you know, Louisiana and Alabama in the South, but not in the rest of the country. Mainstream media never really covered it, which I think brings us to like a big part of this. So Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of, response and drama to Juneteenth being made a federal holiday. Right. Do you like what what are some of the things you've read, Christina? Um it's kind of like a, a little band-aid on the larger issue with with regards to race. Um we're not really band aid that like doesn't matter skin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're not really fixing well, we're trying to fix these issues, but they're so heavily embedded into our society where it's like, oh, maybe if we just give them a holiday and a day off, they'll be okay with everything. But in reality, we're actually not really fixing the root issues that are affecting Black Americans today. What are the root issues? And like, what are some ways you could fix them? Let's see here. Police brutality. Uh, Reparations that we never got. (laughs) Where where the money at, though? Where the money at? Where the the land at? (laughs) And also, the Homestead Act. What about it? So, this is... Christina's stealing my job, folks. (laughs) Tell us about the Homestead Act, Christina. So, for all of y'all that didn't know this, so 
1862, the Homestead Act um, was passed that provided any adult citizen or intended citizen. This is called for white people, though. Not not everybody. Just <laughs> white people. But that was everybody. That was like, that was we everybody. Human then. So correct. Correct. Um, they could claim 160 acres of surveyed government land. Who 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 do you whose land do you think that was? You know, just indigenous. Oh, you know, you, know, you mean those people who had no no? What did he say? Uh, what's his name? The the Pennsylvania home state fuckboy. Uh, who said that there was no culture? Oh, um, what is his name? You know, I'm actually glad I can't remember his name. Whoever he is, uh, went on CNN and had the nerve to say that like indigenous people like essentially have no civilization right. and like no culture right. and like I, I i would like to remind everyone that we like basically stole the framework for our constitution right. from the iroquois confederacy but like whatever right <laughs> like, but the fact is that they were given land they were given which sets which set them up for generational wealth you know yeah. the fact that like we couldn't even get rick santorum oh rick santorum <laughs> Rick Santorum, <laughs> I, Christina's making a really good point right now. Just the top, it's fired for racist comments. Oh, yeah. I mean, he says like racist shit constantly. I would, Rick Santorum is this type of racist, let me tell you. So, Christina, like, don't forget what you were saying. Yeah, that yeah. Was like, yes. But Rick Santorum, when Barack Obama was running for re election in 2011, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Rick Santorum commissioned a whole bunch of commercials and they were literally like this dystopian landscape on like a playground. And mm-hmm. it was like a, uh, what are the, the little, the things that's. The, oh, the wheelie things. Yeah. Like a merry-go-round. Not, but, oh, is that what they call? Yeah. Look, it's after Jeez. 5 p.m. I've had some champagne. Um, so Rick Santorum had these commercials commissioned where there's a merry-go-round spinning around in like this, like kind of like, um, sepia toned dystopian world there's mm-hmm. nobody on the the playground and there's like leaves blowing in the dystopian wind and there's just a shoe a single shoe of a child on the merry-go-round that's spinning and this was what obama's america was gonna look like we were all gonna die <laughs> like this dude was so racist that he didn't think americans could survive <laughs> a black <laughs> president <laughs> Like, grab your wives, grab your kids. <laughs> like, hunker down. What the fuck? Like, he's so wild. Right. Wild. So, you know, Rick got a special Juneteenth. Fuck you for you. Shout but out. I'm sorry, Christina. I told you I'd stop cruising so much. I'm trying. That's fine. Um. Anyways, as you were saying, as I was saying, so Homestead Act. So, you know. The colonizers were given land, you know, 160 acres. That's a lot of land. That's a lot of land. That's four times the amount of land that black people were given for three minutes before they took it back. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, just kidding. (laughs) No, but like, actually. We're we're going to, yeah, exactly. Actually, just kidding. Yes. So not only did we, we have never gotten anything, any reparations, not anything, but. They did give like $1,000 in Michigan a couple weeks ago. Oh. They did, they did. Thanks, Michigan. And like some, some city in like Oh, it's the state. Reno. Reno. To no, that's Nevada. People? Five? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> like not a lot. It was called the COVID lottery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. Um, oh, you survived COVID? Here's a thousand dollars. Oh, you survived COVID and racism? Here's a thousand one dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Homestead Act was wild wild well okay like so the under the thing underlying the homestead act that i was trying to get at that's like extra wild was like this wasn't just like uninhabited land like there were indigenous people Mm -hmm. living on this land Mm -hmm. and this was one of the multiple waves waves of indigenous removal yeah um and movement to reservations people were marched to their death across the country and i think you know i always hone in on this pristina when we're you know when we're recording, but I mean, it's really important to think about the intersections historically. It wasn't like the United States was just being like ultra racist against black people or like ultra sexist against just like, you know, women. It was like, we were doing all this stuff at the same time. So, you know, as all of this is happening as, you know, we're like burning witches at the stake, like in Salem and enslaving our first black people, we're doing our first wave of indigenous removal. And then as we're fighting a war over the institution of slavery, we're doing our like third or fourth wave of indigenous removal. This is all happening at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And what I was what I was saying is that so you're setting up generational wealth for the colonizers. Absolutely. And meanwhile, we have nothing. We literally have you give us nothing. You give you set us free. And then you're like, go on. Go forth and prosper. <laughs> prosper. Well, and what's amazing about it too is like let's think about not just like the the foundation of intergenerational wealth that is being set up by giving land from taking land yes. from other people, right? From taking. This isn't just like you're giving something. You are taking. There's a hook, right? right? There's something that correlates to it. But also, let's think about the idea of meritocracy, the idea of the American dream, the idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, the idea of getting what you've earned. It has never been true. There is this idea that people who are successful today, that people who have gotten into college and made their way to Wall Street, right? The the idea that, oh, you're driving a Tesla, you must be doing really well for yourself. That all started somewhere. Yeah. And I'm not saying every person who has been financially successful in this country has been given things. But if you are white in this country, odds are you have been given invisibilized benefits. And I say invisibilized, not invisible, because they have been purposefully made invisible over generations. Invisibilized benefits like land, like access to jobs, like access to education, that all started somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the Homestead Act is a tangible piece of the beginning of that meritocratic bullshit-ass lie. Right. Like, what? show me the merit in you being given 160 acres of someone else's land who you probably just murdered. Yep. And even Black Wall Street. Weren't we... (laughs) Don't even get. But we were set up. We were given. Yeah. So there. This could be like an entire podcast. Yes. Like not even episode series in and of itself. But Black Wall Street was literally only possible because Mm -hmm. there were land allotments given Mm -hmm. to indigenous and black people who were related to the indigenous tribe because they had priorly been previously been enslaved by the tribe um, to build on. Right. right? So like the reason the black people who built Black Wall Street had access to that land was because of land allotments, which goes to show that people can be successful in this country if they're given equal access to the same Correct. And then not (laughs) firebombed 30 years later. Ta-da! So... It just doesn't magically happen. We would just like land and no turpentine bombs. Like, that's literally all we're asking for. Just just not the turpentine bombs. Exactly. Please? Yes. Maybe? No? Yes. Okay. All right. So others, other things that need to be addressed and fixed. 
can I get a hell yeah for critical <laughs> race studies? Yes. Critical race studies, education. What does this have to do with Juneteenth? Go ahead. Okay. So I'm going to like untangle a little mm-hmm. web here. Juneteenth, right? The idea that we need to celebrate the emancipation of, air quoting again, the last enslaved black people in this country, air quoting because there were still slaves and this country's a lie. But anyways, the idea that we need to celebrate that, right? We have to unpack why that is. We have to unpack all of the history that we just went through and like way more history than we have time to unpack on a podcast like this. What does critical race studies do? It unpacks that history. It goes into the history and it asks, what does this history have to do with where we are today? And what does where we are today have to do with this history? How did the history inform the law? How did law inform history? How did we intentionally or unintentionally build systems and structures that are impacted not just by race, but by identity, by sexual orientation, by gender, by socioeconomic status, et cetera? Especially when our typical educational system is not actually unpacking all of this or teaching precisely kids yeah, everybody this at a very young age or Which, like, ever. Did you learn about Juneteenth no. in elementary school Absolutely or middle school not. or high no. school or college? No. Yeah. Right. And like we went to college like, yeah, like we had the like privileged educational experience of going to a four year university and we still didn't learn about this. Exactly. Right. So the idea that there isn't some additional layer needed, some additional piece of education needed to unpack the history that necessitates a holiday mm. like this, that necessitates a holiday less than three weeks before July 4th, Independence Day, talking about about when independence was actually given to black people who were enslaved in this country is truly wild. I'd like to also note here that there is this really nutty um, line of like argumentation happening right now that like critical race studies is inculcating and brainwashing and like again divisive divisive yeah yeah (laughs) and again again (laughs) not a lie it is divisive it's gonna be divisive anytime like white people actually have to talk about their privilege their fragility and the fact that they have benefited from enslaving and mutilating black and brown people for generations and just kind of want to ignore don't worry i'll wait for a white person to tell me it's not divisive (laughs) but you know, I just think it's amazing that like people are attacking critical race studies while elevating Juneteenth to federal holiday status. It's right. like, so you want to have this holiday, but you don't want to talk about why we need the holiday. Right. You don't want to have the conversation about. Yeah. You don't have the conversation about the bullshit symbolism as as Malcolm X, who Thank you, Lana. white people quite divisive huh? Mm. would say the white man will try to satisfy us with symbolic victories rather than economic equality and real justice. Boom. All this to say, it's truly wild that people are coming for critical race studies, which really asks, what is the history and how does it inform where we're at and how does it inform systems and structures? Instead of coming for the history, instead of coming for the fact that this country is racist and sexist and ableist and ultra privileged and ethnocentric and xenophobic and all of the things like why don't we unpack that instead of trying to attack people who are literally trying to tell history right it's american history y'all it's actually american history it's it's wild though (laughs) because american history in their telling and i'll let you guess who the, the there is only because i've said white so many times already today um in their telling of history, American history is only the good things. Yes, It's exactly. only the glorious, shiny, rainbows and butterflies mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. have happened in our history, not the really messed up right. history, right? So critical race studies should actually be just our history. But the other interesting <laughs> thing about critical race studies is like, 
show me an elementary or middle or even high school mm-hmm. where critical race studies is taught. And I don't mean this in the sense of like, show me because like they exist. I mean this in the sense of like, it is not a middle school or high school subject. It is a higher education subject. It is taught in colleges and universities when people out of their own free will and volition decide to study it. Right. So like this drama surrounding critical race studies, it's a straw man. It's a fallacy. It's a false target that people are using to distract. Right. And it's not even in our the books. No. <laughs> like it's in zero of the materials that were fed to the kids, fed to us growing up. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I would argue, and I'm sure this is super controversial, but it shouldn't be, that it should be in the books. Yes. That it, critical 100%. race studies, because it not only teaches history, it teaches critical thinking. Yes. It teaches this thing that we are so lacking as Americans, which is the ability to think critically. Right. The ability to ask why. The ability to ask who and what and when and where and again why. Yeah. And especially for black and brown kids. It's like yeah, it, it all makes sense once you actually know the history. Yeah. I'm reading this book right now. I mean, I'm reading 37 books right now, if I'm being honest, because you know me and my ADHD mm-hmm. brain. But I'm reading this book right now by Clint Smith, who is a historian and a poet and all the things he writes for The Atlantic. Um, and he just published, I think this is his second book. His first book was a book of poetry. Um, this book that literally just dropped the beginning of this month called How the Word is Passed is all about the history of enslavement and the history of what that has meant um, in this country. And he visits eight different geographical locations, multiple plantations. He visits a Confederate um, graveyard. He visits Galveston, Texas, and talks about the history be- behind um, Juneteenth. And, you know, he he talks about kind of the gravity of not teaching this history and the impact that it has as a person of color mm-hmm. in this country to finally find something to make sense of mm-hmm. um, all of the experiences you've had, yep. to find a common language, right? To find yep. the common thread and how it's freeing and how it takes this massive load off of the shoulders of black and brown people who have been taught and treated their entire lives as though they are less than. Yeah. Exactly. As though they never measure yep. up, as though there's something wrong or deficient mm-hmm. um, with or about them. And critical race studies does that. It it tells you the history, the context, informing why you feel the way you feel, why you look at prisons and jails and people on TV and only see black criminals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like why things look and feel the way they do. And that is so incredibly important. Like I cannot underscore enough how important that is. Right. So. Big shout out to Clint Smith. The book is amazing. Um, big shout out to Critical Race Studies. And, you know, like, I normally say don't at me, but at me. Like, if you have some <laughs> shit to say about Critical Race Studies, I'm here for it. Let's go. She went to school for it, folks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> y'all are coming for me, like, in my own element right now. So if you're trying to get dirty in these CRS streets, I'm here for it. We can have that conversation. At Race and Rosé, mm-hmm. at Pristina Alford. <laughs> <laughs> JK, JK. Um, okay, but on the real, like just like a couple more random things before like I toss it to Pristina and she can talk about the more fun stuff <laughs> and the more like a modern uh, piece of this. I think it's really interesting the to get back to like the Malcolm X quote, like talking about, you know, being um distracted by these like symbolic victories i think it's really important to talk about what we don't have yet right like juneteenth is now a federal holiday we have an eviscerated voting rights act we have multiple states texas georgia 
Florida that are erecting laws that make it more difficult for black and brown people to vote. Like this is happening right now. We have no anti-lynching law. Literally, we have no federal law making lynching specifically a crime, despite the fact that we know that over 4,000 black people have been lynched in Mm -hmm. this country, right? I mean, the fact that that is not you know, a unanimous vote, an anti-lynching law. The fact that, you know, who's like Rand Paul? Is that his dad's name? I don't know. One of the Pauls. (laughs) Idiot. Um, Voted against it because he said that it makes anything, even like a minor bruise or abrasion, a lynching. Show me the last time that the federal government brought someone up on charges for punching someone in the face as a lynching. Don't worry, I'll wait because a whole bunch of Yahoo ass idiots literally broke into the Capitol, hung a noose outside of it, marched in there with Camp Auschwitz shirts on and Confederate flags, and not one of them has been brought up on hate crimes charges or on like attempted lynching, despite the fact that they were literally chanting, We need to hang Mike Pence. So. Like, I think maybe Rand Paul is barking up the wrong tree, but like all this to say, this is wild. And there are all these things that are significantly more important, yet Juneteenth is what they decided unanimously in the Senate, at least, and near unanimously in the House. I mean, 14 detractors is not very many when there are 435, I think that number is correct, House members. But, you know, at the same time, I think it is important. I was talking about this today. I posted something about how, like, we also have to keep in mind, like, our elders and the people who lived through the early 20th century. And to a lot of older people, like, this is really significant. So I think it's important to just consider um, the landscape here, to consider what we don't have, but also to consider what this means to some Black Americans, especially older Black Americans. But y'all can keep your Juneteenth federal holiday. That's it. I'm going to go back to drinking now. We love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, we are drinking. We're cheating a little bit today. Mm-hmm. We, we're we're drinking Vuv. Yeah. Because we're we're fancy. We're fancy like that. But we do have a bottle of, I thought it was mum, but it's. It's mum. It's mum. It's mum. At a Napa. Yeah. Which is lovely. Yeah. We're out here being extra fancy on this Friday. I would say we were pouring some out for the homies, but this is too expensive to pour out. So we're yeah. not going to do that. But. We love you. Yes. Um, okay, let's talk about some of like the more modern pieces <clears throat> sure. of this pee. Like- so there's been a lot of conversation about okay, so where do we go from where do we go from here? Um, and you know, should white people celebrate Juneteenth? Mm. And uh, there's been a lot of chatter online, right? And I mean, my my perspective is like yes, yes, allyship is very important. You know, we want we need everybody on board, right? We need everybody to support black businesses. We need to have these conversations. We need people to do their own research. You know, it's just not... Do your own research. Because if research. one more person messages me and asks me some ignorant shit and does not Venmo me afterwards, I promise <laughs> you. Like, I'm done now. <laughs> like, what are you doing on Juneteenth? You're taking the day off to do what? I mean, Christina... <laughs> Can we talk about the fact that, like, these 14 House members who voted against the federal, like, legalization, not legalization. They took the day off. Yeah. Not all of them. I think it said, like, six of them, like, stayed in their offices. Eight of these assholes were like, no, Juneteenth shouldn't be a federal holiday. And then literally took today off. They took the day off. I mean, the hypocrisy is just, 
like wow we don't support you but we're gonna take the day off and and be paid through your tax dollars while we take the day off. yes i would like every (laughs) black person in the districts of those eight people who did that to maxine waters style reclaim their tax dollars stat because yes. you deserve no black money for taking no. that day off after voting it down. Right. It's the literal least you could do. Like, you, that cotton shirt you're wearing, you're welcome for the technology, <laughs> motherfuckers. Like, seriously? <laughs> like, I'm what? Black and brown people should own all the patents to everything in this country. Yeah. yeah. That's all. I'm done now. <laughs> Tell them how you feel, Day. I feel a lot of things. I'm feeling a lot of things. How you feel. But I do have a question for you. So, like, <clears throat> what do you think? And this is more of like a like, like, what's your actual opinion? And I guess common sense question. Like you say we need white allies, right? Like you mm-hmm. say, like, yeah, like white people should celebrate Juneteenth too. What does that look like? Like, what should white people do? And like maybe the question should be, what should white people not, not do? I think for me, it's more of not just doing performative acts of support. Um you so know, like I, I shouldn't. My mom, my white mom, shouldn't <laughs> just like run around in her Juneteenth shirt. Um, as y'all know, I work in PR. I have a lot of different types of clients, clients of different backgrounds, and you know, I mean, I feel like my company is doing a, a kind of valiant effort. It was kind of valiant, maybe, <laughs> in terms of making internal changes within the company. Um, but I, uh, you know, they're doing some things. They're doing, they're doing some things. I think that's the first step, right? Is to make sure that, you know, internally you're actually doing the work, walking the walk, at least making steps towards that. And listening to your employees (laughs) of color, which I can definitely say, like, I've been involved with some of the efforts your company has made and some of the conversations your company has had. And like, there is definitely space being made for employees of color to talk about right. their feelings with respect to what's happening is it has it gone far enough no um but you know that's true of pretty much every space it's considerably more i think than a lot of companies are are doing yeah and especially when you're advising clients or you know being forward facing with clients it's really important that you know internally with companies that you are trying to make those changes you mm-hmm. are making those hires you are providing educational resources to your employees or yes as Deidre said you know providing a space where your black and brown employees can can talk or be heard so you know that's important but also you know when speaking to clients it's you know really especially when you're talking to black or brown clients making sure that you know whatever you're saying to them isn't performative isn't you know oh well we're taking off for juneteenth (laughs) i'm rolling my eyes so hard i know y'all might have heard it (laughs) you might have heard that i roll we love black people we're taking juneteenth off (laughs) i can't i can't I can't, I can't, I can't. I, someone posted, like, today or yesterday, like, I think, like, all black people and brown people should get off for Juneteenth, but all white people oh, should have to work. Seriously. <laughs> like, no. It's funny. It's funny. It's, it's funny. It's funny. It's not funny. It's, okay, you know, it's not actually doing the work, but hey. <laughs> We're taking Juneteenth off. Okay. I mean, okay, so here's the thing, and this is an interesting tie-in. Yeah. There's this performative thing that is happening with a lot of companies um, on social media, uh, with our country, 
making Juneteenth a federal holiday, but not like actually getting to the core of what any of these issues are. And I think that that is tied to white control of the narrative of yes. black and brown people in this country. Um, and even- Deja, where is that fine? There's a fine line. And I'm still struggling to like, what do you mean? like, when is it not performative? And when is, you know, it's not performative if you're not getting anything out of it. Like, it's one thing if you're getting an incidental benefit out of being an ally or an advocate or an activist. But it's performative as hell if you're not putting any skin on the line and you are making yourself look like a better person from doing it. So all these assholes who posted black squares a couple weeks ago, like, you know, a year ago, right? Like posted black squares uh, five days after George Floyd was murdered. Um, And this year are doing literally nothing. And the statistics back this, there has been like a 15 to 20% drop in support for Black Lives Matter in the past year. Um, And it's specifically tracked to white college educated women. Those are the people who have waned, who have dropped off from supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. That is performative activism. They did it because it was trendy. They did it because it was cute. They did it because they thought it was what they needed to do to keep their friends liking their shit, pushing that little heart on Instagram. They didn't do it for any real reason. They didn't do it because they actually cared. Performative activism is exactly what it sounds like. It is performing so that other people see you doing something that looks like being an activist. Okay, so a company that's doing these educational trainings, um, providing that space for Mm -hmm. their black and brown employees, you know, I see it. I get it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like, do I really feel supported? I, I think this is separate from performative <laughs> activism. What you're saying is very real. Yeah. Like, no, if you <laughs> so if you're like if any company actually cared about whether or not what they were doing was benefiting their black and brown employees, what would they do? They'd fucking ask them. Right. Right. They would sit down with every one of those black employees, with every one of those brown employees, and trust me, it wouldn't take that long because there are so few of them, and they would ask them, right? how is this hitting you? What else can we do to support you? What walls are you running into consistently at your company? What makes you feel unseen, unheard, and is an impediment to you doing your job well that has to do with your identity? Companies are not asking employees those questions. Or... When they do ask those questions, they don't actually listen or do anything about it. Oh, precisely. Because there's definitely (laughs) feedback that is given at companies that is just brushed to the side because it's inconvenient. And it's funny because I don't think it's performative activism to bring someone in to do these trainings and things, but it is performative. It's performative, especially if you don't do anything about it. Well, if you're bringing (laughs) someone in to do the trainings and you're just making the appearance of caring it's what's the point you're just trying to appease people from the outside the black and brown people at your company know that it's still not having an actual impact exactly to to be about your shit you would be calling clients out in meetings when they're saying and doing racist shit which i will say for some of my clients and for some companies people are doing that i have seen that it has been happening more but it is not happening across the board it is not consistent right White people, by and large, and I'm calling out white people specifically because I have and do continue to see brown people doing this. White people, by and large, are scared to put their necks out on behalf of other people, especially when those people are black and brown or women. 
right? When they are a minority, if they are gay, if they are neurodivergent, if they are an immigrant, if they speak English as a second language, anything that is any distance from whiteness and maleness and cisgendered heteronormativity, it is unlikely that someone is going to stick their neck out on behalf of that person. No. And what's really messed up about it is statistically speaking, and as far as even qualitative research studies are concerned, it has been proven that white people have less to lose and often considerably much to gain from sticking their necks out. They're rewarded for calling people out, even bosses. When brown people call people out for being racist, sexist, homophobic, whatever, they're penalized in their performance reviews. And so not only do you have a situation where it's just like on a base level messed up, like if you see something, say something, but it's messed up because quite literally, like black and brown people are being further penalized when they call someone out for being racist, when they call someone out for being classist or whatever it is. And when white people do the same thing, they receive a benefit. They receive a boost. Wow. So all this to say, people suck. Happy Juneteenth. (laughs) (laughs) Back to what I was saying about the narrative and who's in control of it, right? Who tells the story? Who gets to decide that Juneteenth is a federal holiday? Who gets to provide the commentary surrounding it? God, I came for Ari Melber yesterday on MSNBC. Was that today or yesterday? Time means nothing. Um, Who is a white um, anchor on MSNBC, a white male anchor. He's a lawyer. And he really likes to use rap lyrics in his news segment. And like white people rapping, liking rap. Sure. Great. Whatever. But like, bro, like there are very few black anchors on MSNBC. None of them quoting rap lyrics consistently as a piece of, you know, them telling the news. And the fact that this man is profiting from controlling the narrative in this way and telling the narrative by use of black art forms, and that it got approved at multiple levels Mm -hmm. at MSNBC, is like truly problematic um, and concerning. And it doesn't tell the rest of the story, which is always the problem. Like when you have white people in control of black and brown narratives, huge chunks of the story are left out, oftentimes intentionally. Which brings me to to what I wanted to... You get two readings today. This is a twofer. Okay. So there's this this thing called the slave narratives um, or the, the other name for it. It's, I think, the Federal Writers Project. Yeah. The Federal Writers Project is a project um, done between 1936 and 1938, so three years, uh, where the government interviewed enslaved formerly enslaved people right so this is what i'm so terrible at math 70 years after slavery formally ended so these are people who are at a minimum 70 years old right if they were born like the year that slavery ended and they interviewed people across 15 or so states about slavery and it struck me um how ridiculous the general suggestions to the interviewers were um and it just speaks to the power of people not being in control of their own narrative and this dude henry g alsberg who is the director of this project he's giving these general suggestions right and i'll just like i'll give you one that's like pretty unproblematic um i think it might be problematic on second read but he says instead of attempting to interview a large number of ex-slaves the workers should now concentrate on one or two of them the more interesting and intelligent people Uh, revisiting them, establishing friendly relations and drawing them out over a period of time, right? Problematic, like the assumption that like some of them aren't intelligent and the assumption that like there's no value in those who they deem unintelligent. But here's the real problematic part. And this is where like the control of the narrative issue comes into play. 
Uh, He says the interviewer should take the greatest care not to influence the point of view of the informant and not to let his own opinion on the subject of slavery become obvious. Should the ex-slave, however, give only one side of the picture, the interviewer should suggest that there were other circumstances and ask questions about them. Like, ignoring the obvious that I'm sorry, there is only one fucking side to the narrative about slavery. Like, the shit was messed up. What? Like, so so if this person, this prior this prior priorly is priorly even a word (laughs) this person who was enslaved at some point in time in the past previously thank you that's the word i was looking for why is my brain (laughs) this previously enslaved person um if they only tell you what the bad side about slavery you're supposed to coax the good side out of them or like some other side and when i read this i was first hit by what i just said which is like the intentional manipulation of historical narratives by white people and by people who are part of majority culture. And so many of our stories as black people, as women, as brown people, um, as minorities, as people who are marginalized and oppressed are told by the majority, are told by people who are not us and do not have our lived experience. And with Juneteenth, I think we're at a risk of that happening as well, where it's now become a federal holiday. It's this symbol that can be waved around. It's a false flag. It's something that senators, both Republican and Democrat, mind you, can wave around and say, look, I'm not racist. I care about black people. I care about history. We made Juneteenth a federal holiday while they ignore all of the other historical components, all of the other really important pieces of this. And control of the narrative is so central to this. So central. And I want to leave everyone with that little think piece, that little nugget. Ask who controls the narrative? Who controls the history that people are going to read 100 years from now, right? Like, we learn in school bits and pieces of history from the, you know, late 19th century, from the mid 20th century. 100 years from now, when people are learning about the, you know, the early 21st century and our history, what narrative are they going to be told and who is in control of that narrative, right? Is it someone who's saying that there are two sides to slavery? (laughs) That's all I got. Oh God! All right, um, I can get darker. No, let's not. Okay. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> how about how about we end on things that we all can do to celebrate and pay homage to Juneteenth? And I'm not celebrating, but I'm gonna drown my despair in this glass of sparkling rosé. Cheers, Petra. <laughs> 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 What's there to celebrate? There's nothing to celebrate, but people can research, Mm -hmm. look up black poets, black art, black businesses. Read. I have two books that you can read. So Clint Smith, How the Word is Passed, the book I was just talking about, entire chapter on Galveston and Juneteenth, but the entire book is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Annette Gordon-Reed, she is a Pulitzer Prize winning author of color. She's dope. Um, she wrote a book that just came out called On Juneteenth, and it's a book full of short stories, like essays. Um, she's from Texas. This is her history specifically, um, geographically. So those are two um, great books. And another book that I actually haven't read yet, but mm-hmm. I'm about to use for some research. Um, it's called The Slaves War. And I think this is actually written by a white dude, so... Ugh. but um this is using slave narratives to tell the story of the civil war so nice i would say like this juneteenth like do some research yeah like some actual research 
Yep. And you know what? Add critical race studies to that research. Look up what critical race studies actually is. If you need a source for that, like look up UCLA critical race studies. It's where I went to school. It's the only you know university or law school, at least in the country, that has a fully fledged critical race studies program. Look into like what critical race theory actually is. I think you'll probably be surprised that it's not like a brainwashing cult of of black people wearing like pen- pentagrams and yeah drinking yeah blood. and i think also people can also use their privilege or like make a vow make a promise to speak up um you know when confronted with certain situations um with you know with regards to any discriminatory microaggressions whatever that you face within the workplace within your personal spaces to speak up say something you know be a voice be part of the change also reparations how about you research into how reparations can actually be effectuated in this country it's been done before i mean after the holocaust reparations were paid to jewish people reparations are not like a foreign concept they're not something we haven't done in other situations um even with indigenous people to some extent i mean it was like some fucked up reparations but like reparations were paid to some extent land was given um they're you know (laughs) not nearly enough but look into reparations People mm-hmm. want to know like what they can do. Make people whole. Our entire legal system is based on the idea of if people are harmed, making them whole or as close to whole as possible. Look into how to make black and brown people in this country whole. Right. Acknowledge your privilege. Acknowledge when you're wrong. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Christina, I think you've asked for too much now. I think you've taken it a bit too far. But on the real, look into... Seriously, like do some base research on reparations and like what that would actually mean and mm-hmm. what it would take. I mean, if we can pay billions of dollars to bail out auto industries and airlines and all of these other things, we can pay money to the people who literally to the to black and indigenous people who built the foundation of this country, who gave us the land, who worked the land, who, you know, were murdered for this country to be what it is today. So think about that. Okay. And I hope you have an unhappy Juneteenth because (laughs) I I don't think it's, I don't think we're at a place where we should happily be celebrating this holiday personally. It's not celebrating. It's um, acknowledging. I don't even know what the word is. Acknowledging, commemorating. Commemorating, yeah. Honoring. Mm -hmm. Anyways, we are excited to be back. Um, Sorry, because I'm just mad. (laughs) Jada's pissed. (laughs) Pissed and drunk. <laughs> I'm not drunk. <laughs> we actually didn't. We haven't drank that we much. We haven't drank that much. Maybe that's the problem. Anyways, keep it real. Really, if you do want to celebrate Juneteenth, there are some historic ways to do it. Um, it was historically celebrated in the home with family gatherings, cookouts, mm-hmm. um, readings from the uh, general order on Juneteenth. Um, where emancipation was effectuated um, in Galveston. So if you want to do it right, um, look up some, you know, Southern Texan black recipes. And shop black. Shop black. Like, yes. yeah, better yet, get something catered from a black mm-hmm. um, business and yeah. read some of the history out loud to your family, to your kids. Yep. Do it right. All right. We will see y'all soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Until next week, keep your glasses full and remember that racism is garbage. Trash. (laughs) Basura. None of this would be possible without the support of our talented team. 
Big ups to our producers, Lana Shea and Kate Bataille. Thank you so much. And shout out to Coda the Friend for allowing us to use his music. Woop woop. Woop. Bye bye.